All right, Matthew chapter 6. I'm excited to continue on in this series of the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to begin in verse 19, and I'll be reading through verse 24. So let me read the passage, and then I'll pray, and we'll consider what the Lord has for us. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. Lord, there's so much for us to consider in this passage, and I'm afraid, Lord, that even just the few minutes we devote towards this passage, we will just be uh, skimming the surface of all the rich implications, and Lord, and all the challenges and ways, that, Lord, in which we should probably confess and repent from, Lord. But we do pray that you would help us and guide us, that you would... Um, convict us and sanctify us, Lord, and help us, Lord, to be citizens of the kingdom that bring much glory and honor to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I did a little bit of digging today, and I read that in the year 2019, so that's simply a year ago, uh, Americans surpassed spending $1 trillion during the holiday season. Um, now, all of that can be summed up in all the presents they buy, all the food and drink, all the, the lights and the decorations and the holiday outings, but a, a trillion dollars. Um, I don't know if those numbers will go up with coronavirus or not, but there's a, a, a real word there that more time than any other, Christmas reveals the consumerism that is ingrained in every single one of us. It is the air we breathe. It is what we are just accustomed to having as Western Americans, to have things, to consume things, to get new and better things. I think we actually learned that, Cameron, you might be adding to that as you mentioned how you were Christmas shopping today or this weekend for your family and loved ones. And when we read this passage, it's tempting, again, to throw away any nuance, to throw away wisdom and common reasoning, and take Jesus' words here completely literal. Is it wrong to want things? Is it wrong to get things? Is it wrong to have a savings account, to, to make an investment into something? And there's a sense in which Sometimes we can approach passages like this and, and we miss the point that Jesus is trying to communicate. And if you remember, the Sermon on the Mount begins with Jesus saying, my kingdom is not like what you think it is. Remember, Jesus, his audience here is people who are Jewish. They follow the Judaism religion, right? And, and he's comparing and contrasting his kingdom to what was the common quo back then. And so Jesus begins by saying, hey, my kingdom 
is made up of all of these different blessings. That in my kingdom, it's actually better to be poor than to be rich. In my kingdom, it's the meek who inherit. In my kingdom, it's those who have a hunger and an appetite for righteousness who are actually truly the ones who are filled in this life. And Jesus is correcting all of our mis, you know, kind of misguided expectations of what we think God and his kingdom is like. Jesus here, he corrects us about what are true morals. What should our, the right view of scripture be? How should we even approach our heavenly father? It seems like there isn't a single thing that Jesus doesn't have to say about how people were practicing their religion. And so he goes on a little deeper because last week we talked all about prayer and practicing our righteousness and what is the relationship with our heavenly father? What is that to look like? And so Jesus kind of wants to elaborate a little bit more of that. And so matter of fact, this passage followed by the next two, Jesus gives kind of three different examples of what our relationship to our heavenly father should look like. And the main theme around this, it should be trust. That, that as kingdom citizens, guys, listen, as kingdom citizens, as Christians, we have a heavenly father, which means that he should be the person who we find our true refuge in, our true help, our strength, our soul's delight, our joy, even our deepest treasures, our deepest treasures. And so Jesus is combating a view in his day where the rich were known as the people who are really holy, who are blessed by God. And sadly, if I can just be honest, there's still this common air that we breathe in that kind of would promote and teach you that, that God helps those who help themselves. That God is in the business of blessing people by giving them wealth and health based off of how much they are trusting God, by how holy they are, by how great their faith is. So therefore, their faith is subordinate to how much health and wealth and good things that are happening in their life. And therefore, if you don't have good things, or a lot of money, it's because you're lacking faith. It's very easy to have a twisted view and a bad theology of money in God's kingdom. And Jesus wants to make sure that he clarifies what exactly our attitude towards money and riches and treasure should be. And in doing so, what Jesus is going to give us, he's going to give us a warning, a principle an illustration, and a final application, okay? He's going to give us a warning, right? Then he's going to give us a principle. Then there's an illustration, and then there's a final application. So let's go ahead and break down the passage like that. Let's go ahead and look down first at this warning. Do not, okay? Right? Does that sound like a warning to you? When someone says, hey, don't do this, do not go over there, 
They're, they're warning you of something. And what is that warning of? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So right off the bat, Jesus is coming and saying, hey, listen, if you are in the business of just accumulating a lot of money, a lot of treasure, don't do that. And he gives a reason, right? Or actually, he kind of gives a description. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So again, if we take this verse in isolation, which I've seen many people do, and we kind of forget the rest of the part that Jesus is teaching here, there can almost be a sense right off the bat, like, is Jesus against people being wealthy? Is Jesus against people saving up for retirement? Making investments? There's a lot of examples in the Old Testament of, of men who loved God, who followed God, who had a lot of money. The, probably the, the biggest example of this is Job. I don't think there's anyone more wealthy than Job. Or, or how about Solomon with all of the treasures that he had and all the wives? Like He just had more wealth and political affluence than any single person in the Old Testament. So is Jesus here kind of switching the paradigm? Is he kind of pivoting and saying like, hey, if you ever save up money, if you have a savings account, shame on you. Let's see. Look, look, at, this, look at this contrast though in verse 20. But rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. First point. First observation, I should say. Jesus is not against you having treasure. Did you hear that? Jesus is not against you having treasure. He's against you having treasure in the wrong place. Treasures on earth are temporal. They're not going to last. Things can happen to it. Treasure on earth is suspect to mold and decay. It is suspect to being stolen, right? But rather, treasure in heaven is safe because moth and rust can't destroy. Thieves can't break in and steal. When I was in college, there was a big economic collapse, right? People had their lives and their fortunes invested. And in a short amount of time, what happened? Just the economy imploded. Some of you guys were just being born. It's weird to say, right? Or you're, you're just little kids, right? Maybe your parents talk about those days, but that was like a very significant thing that happened to me when I was in college was the Great Recession of uh, 2008 and 2009, right? And we just even see right now in our day and age, right, that if people expect that the economy or that things are always going to progress and get better and there's never going to be an end to it, take a look at 2020. Okay? I mean, unemployment this year reached the highest levels ever in our nation's history. And so Jesus here, he's giving us a warning and he's saying, don't be the kind of person who puts up all of your wealth and your successions and your treasures here on earth because they're not going to last. Rather, you should lay them up for heaven. Okay. But again, if we don't explain this, this still kind of just sounds like a little bit of moral teaching. Okay, Jesus, make sure 
don't have too much money, but really what I should do is have treasures in heaven. Now, here's, here's like the, the $100 question. What does that look like? What, what, is that, what does it mean to store up treasures in heaven compared to storing up treasures on earth? So let's kind of break that down for a second. Um, I think what Jesus is teaching here, and I'm going out on a limb a little bit, that's why I say I think, is Jesus is kind of combating the type of wealth hoarding where you hoard up wealth far more than you need, where you just store up as much, as much, as much, as much as you can. Someone asks you, well, how much is enough? And you just say, the answer is more. I just want more. Right? And then we have to clarify here that when Jesus says treasures, he's not just talking about money. He's talking about nice homes, nice cars, nice clothes, trips, right? A lot of times, the Old Testament's way of describing treasures will say gold and honey, okay? Honey is kind of represent, representative of all the good things that we get with gold. So money is the stuff that we can buy all the things that we want. So Jesus is saying, don't have too much of that, right? If you continue just to say, I want more of this, more of this, more of this, more of this, what ultimately is going to happen is that you at the end of your life will find yourself to have nothing. And so look, that's why he says, look at this really important verse, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This verse is so significant that I'm not even sure if I have all the time to really describe everything that it's saying. But, but do me a favor. Keep your finger on Matthew chapter 6 and turn towards, towards the end of your Bible, not all the way there, to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, uh, the pastoral epistle. It comes before the book of Hebrews. Hopefully you guys know where that is because we went through that for a long time. So 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is a really great cross-reference passage to kind of understand a little bit more. And there's a few others I can go to, but just for the sake of time, I'll go to only this one. So do me a favor, look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to be looking starting at verse 6. All right, so this is Paul telling Timothy, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. See, what I find very fascinating about this passage is that it is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, here's here's the fascinating part about that. 
You can have a lot of money and really love it. You can love the, the feeling and the security and, and, and all the things that come with having a lot of money, all of the nice things that I mentioned earlier. Or guess what? You can have not a lot of money, but still crave it and think about it and love it and pursue it. That whether you have a little money or a lot of money or a little treasure or a lot of treasure, there is a sense in which it controls us. Let me give you an example. A couple of years, a couple summers ago, um, I entered into the risky waters of kind of trading some stocks. Okay, and uh, there was this app on my phone, and I think I started with maybe like a hundred dollars, right? And I was like, oh, okay, I got a hundred bucks in here, and I bought this thing, and and like an hour later is worth six dollars more, and I sold it. I made six dollars, right? Okay. Then I was out to find another value thing. And so I bought this, right? And a day later, it was worth $30 more. So now I'm like up $36. I'm like, man, I just made like 36% of my money. I'm doing awesome. I'm great. You know, and I'm, I'm like checking all these chat rooms for stocks to buy. And, you know, I, I build, I build, I go up, I go down, I go up, I go down, I go up, I go down. And eventually like, I get to like $1,500. But here's the thing. I was constantly looking at my phone, constantly gripped, constantly thinking about my money. And there's a sense in which there's wise investment where you just kind of like don't treat it like gambling, where you just simply invest it for the future and you make it a long-term investment and a long-term you know, capital gains and, and all that stuff, right? But, but there's a sense in which when I was doing that for like a month or two, I would go to bed thinking about it and then I have to wake up early before the stock market opened to see what was happening with my, with my trades. And I just eventually came to the conclusion, like, man, this is not good for my heart. I am constantly thinking about this tiny little bit amount of money that I got. And eventually I just had to put it away completely. And I think this is indicative of a little bit of what Jesus is saying. We like to store up as much money as we can, as much treasure as we can. But I think when we look at Paul and, and other New Testament writings, I think the idea that we should have towards money, and I'll finish my first point here, the warning here, is that we need to be content with truly having what we need in order to live a life of godliness and holiness. Remember what we just studied last week, right? The Lord's Prayer. What were we to pray for? We are to pray for the things that we need in order to glorify our Heavenly Father. But when we go living our lives, just trying to get more and more things, as we do in consumerism with the trillion dollars that we spend every holiday season, all we are really doing is showing that I find my delight, I find my refuge, I find my comfort, not in the Lord, but in the accumulation of more and more things. And so I know I raised a question and I haven't answered it yet, but, but I will come to it in a second. But the warning is first this. If you live your life simply and trying to accumulate more and more riches, there are so many examples of people in the Bible 
where misery and harm and hurt came their way. And I think this, this principle, second point that Jesus gives here, is a helpful one for us all to consider. And I think this is maybe like the heart of the message, verse 21, this principle. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So here's a good way to diagnose what your true treasure in life is. You ready for this? How do you know what your treasure is? How do you know the things that you're after? Here it is. The things that your mind naturally gravitates towards. The things that excite you. The things that you think of, if I can only do, if I can just have a little bit more of this, or if only this would happen, that is a good indicator of what your true heart's treasure is. And I think the warning here, guys, is listen, this life that we live in is such a temptation to put our refuge and our trust in other than the Lord. And so we need to do constant work at our hearts of trying to see where is my heart really finding its true worth and value. So if, if the warning is simply don't lay up treasures in heaven and the principle is your treasure is where your heart is, let's look at this little illustration that Jesus gives in verse 22. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. So what Jesus is kind of trying to illustrate here is that if you are someone who truly is a citizen of the kingdom of God, if you are a Christian, your true heart, your true life is now full of the light of God. That you have, you have Christ in you, that you are someone who can see into the darkness, that, that really you begin to see how to live for God. You begin to crave things that are, that are good and that are pleasing. And what, but what Jesus is saying here, if you do not have this light in you, you will never be able to actually crave good things. So the, the illustration, as it were, If you look at the very end of verse 23, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? That really, having a relationship with your heavenly father is the only way to combat your heart from truly craving all of the things of this world. There's a song, uh, an old hymn, and... um, we don't, we don't really sing it here at our church, but uh, it's, it's come, you sinners, poor and needy. And in one of the lines, it says, um, oh, in his arms, there are 10,000 charms. And what that hymn is kind of signifying is how we rarely come to the Lord for the desires that we have in our hearts. So if I could just speak boldly to all of you middle schoolers and high schoolers here. Every single desire that you have in your heart, whether that desire be for success, friendship, to be heard, to be seen, 
to be valued, to have a meaningful life. Every single desire in your heart will ultimately find its full expression in the Lord. The problem is, is, is not saying that that's true and we agree with that. The problem is, is actually doing that. The problem is, is that so many of us, we like the things that we have. We like our video games. We like our TV. Come on, how many of us don't like the feeling of getting that brand new pair of shoes? How many of you love getting that brand new haircut? Right? We like... Well, okay, I do anyways, right? We like consuming. We like nice meals. We like nice trips. We like having stuff. And there's a sense in which, again, this question is, is it wrong to have stuff? Is it, is it wrong to make investments? Is it wrong to give people Christmas gifts and, and all of that stuff? And then here, here's ultimately the answer, guys. Right? Here, here is where Jesus is trying to get us to peel back the onion and to really examine our hearts. Jesus wants to know, where is your heart? What is your heart after? Because here's the reality. When you become someone who has been saved, someone who's been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, someone who has now become a citizen of the kingdom of God, you cannot but help serve God, love God, pursue God, fight for the kingdom, pursue the kingdom. I mean, we literally just went over this, right? We pr- in verse 10, what do we pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done. We cannot do that when all we see in our life is how can I get more things? And what Jesus is saying, the thing that you are seeing, the thing that you are looking at is what is going to control you. Right, um, an illustration of imagine a, a, a beautiful snow-laden field. No footsteps on it at all, right? And you're supposed to walk way across the field and go to your friend's house. If while you're walking to your friend's house in this beautiful snow-laden field, and all you are doing is looking down on the ground around you, you will turn around and discover that your path is all crooked. Right? You might walk three steps to the right, then straight, then a little left, and a little, little right, then straight for a while. And it's just going to be kind of, if I'm following you know, 20 steps behind you, I'm like, is this person drunk? <laughs> what is happening? Why? But here's the thing. If you find something in the distance, like a tree or a marker, like a big rock, and you walk straight at that tree, straight at that rock or that marker, here's what you'll find. That your path is actually completely straight. And the illustration is is that what we have our eyes on, what we fix our hearts on, is ultimately going to be the thing that drives us. And so if you want to know whether or not your heart is on your heavenly father, what are you after? What are you thinking about? What controls you? What is driving you? I better get good grades so I can get to a good college, so I can have a good job, so that I can make sure that I get the things that I want. 
I have to do this in order to... See, do you see what we fix our eyes on, metaphorically speaking, is ultimately what drives us. And Jesus is saying, the eye, what you see, is what controls the body. The eye is the lamp of the body. And so Jesus here gives this final application. Everything that he's saying is pointing towards this in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. See, there's some of you here. Money is a deceiving word because you don't care about money. But again, think about the audience who Jesus is listening to. These people are tempted to parade their righteousness in order to be seen by others. What their true treasure is, is here's the thing. They want to be well thought of by others. They never will put themselves in a position to where they can look bad in front of their peers. They will never do anything that will, if it's going to highlight a mistake or make me look silly or make me look goofy, I will never do it. Right? Some of you, I know, you don't play games. And you sit there like, oh, I'm not doing that. It's going to make me look stupid. I don't want to do that, right? Some of you here, though, this is a good word. What truly controls you? What is your life after? What is the metaphorical thing that your eye is looking at? Is it success? Is it money? You know, another way that we talk about all these things is idols. You know, and a lot of times we think idols can be things that we construct, these little images, and, and, and really all an idol is it's something that you elevate more than God. And here's the thing, the Bible teaches us, and what Jesus is teaching us here, we will always bow down and worship the thing that we think will give us the most happiness. And that is why even good things like relationships, sports, video games, success, jobs, good things in and of themselves can become things in which we choose to love more than God. So here's the question. Is Jesus saying, get rid of all riches here. Don't do any of those riches here. Don't store them up here. It's wrong to have a 401k investment, to have a savings account. I think you probably know the answer is no. It's not wrong to, to have an investment. It's not wrong to, um, to have nice things, to give gifts. What is wrong is setting your heart behind these things. One of my favorite hymn writers is Charles Wesley. Most people have this impression that pastors and missionaries are, are really poor, but Charles Wesley was very, very wealthy, very wealthy Englishman. He wrote hundreds of hymns, a number of books, and by the selling of his hymns and his books, he had just tons of money. Um, a few years before he died, he, he actually donated 40,000 pounds to different mission um, and Christian organizations, right? And this is back in like the 19th century, so like 1860s, 70s. When Charles Wesley died, his whole estate was worth 28 pounds, right? See, 
True kingdom citizens know that if I just store up and gather as much as I can, at the end of my life, guess what? It's just gone. I can't do anything with it. See, see Christians who have tasted the gospel, who know that their sins are forgiven, who know that, that Jesus is now their true treasure, are able to say, hey, as long as I got food, a house, I'm content. Because the greatest treasure is not trips or money. The truest treasure is the gift. And the gift is the giver. And the giver is Christ himself. You see, ultimately, as Christians, guys, we, we are the people who know the most that my true treasure is not here. He is in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father Almighty. And so therefore, if my eye is fixed on Christ, if I am heavenly minded, as Paul says in Colossians 3.1, if my eye, the lamp of my body, is fixed on my true treasure, Christ, what will my life look like? It will look like a life that is dedicated and devoted to the mission of furthering the kingdom, of using the riches I have temporally for the good of my brothers, to to serving my family, to helping those in need, to being generous as the Lord has been generous to me. So as Christians, we save up to the amount that we need. And if the Lord has given us more, by God's grace, we gladly try to bless others with that. So in, 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 in closing, let me just give you three quick applications that I think are helpful for, for, um, for all of you guys. First, um, here's a question, application. What is your heart after? What is the metaphorical thing that is really driving your life? Is it comfort? Is it popularity? Is it simply just, I want, to be, I want to have fun and I want to be entertained. I'm tired of being bored. And what really kind of motivates me is what can I do just to have fun? Okay. Well, what's, what's driving your life? Um, two, in what ways is the Lord calling you to respond with the little bit of money that you do have? Now, I know some of you have jobs and some of you don't, but I think all of us at some point or another we do receive money. Whether that's from grandma who gives us a birthday card or maybe you do a few chores, you get an allowance or you sell something. All of us at some point or another learn to have money. And so let me tell you, let me tell you something. If you have this temptation to say to yourself, oh, I don't have a lot of money right now, but one day when I get money, that's when I'll start to be generous. That's when I'll tithe. That's when I'll give to the church. You're in fantasy land. Because here's it. It doesn't matter how much money you have. What matters is whether or not you feel generous, whether or not you understand how the Lord has been generous with me, I ought to be generous with you. And so I encourage you, if you haven't ever given to the church, if you've never given to an organization that is fueling gospel ministry, Consider what Jesus is saying here. Don't store up treasures on earth, but rather store up treasures in heaven. And I tell you, a good way to learn 
to rid yourself from the control of the things of this world is giving. If you want a spiritual habit every single month that trains you to put less stock and faith in this world and more into the kingdom of God, give on a regular basis. And third application, by far the greatest application, is Christ your true treasure? Can you with Martin Luther say, you know, let good and kindreds go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. You know, Martin Luther understood that, that the greatest thing that we have was that the fact that God became a baby, that he became our perfect righteousness, that he died in our behalf. And once Christ truly becomes our greatest treasure, it is only then where we can learn to truly love God and serve him. And so I I encourage you guys, think about these things. Think about money. Every single part of our lives now is shaped by the gospel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for all that you have given us in Christ, Lord, we are are so richly blessed. And Father, we ask that you would help us to learn to do this more and more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.